Computer, initialize Holosuite. There are some moments that haunt us all our lives. Moments upon which history turns. Well, hello, my friend. What is this? What have you done? Welcome to the road not taken. Welcome to the On Far Point, a podcast where we talk about Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm Jeff Owen. I'm joined as ever by my co-host Baz Greenland. How are you today, Baz? I'm excellent, thank you. Looking forward to uh, delving into Picard Season 2. Yeah, absolutely. And joining us on today's episode is the host of the Weekly Trek podcast, as well as a contributor on TrekCore.com. Thank you for joining us today, Alex Perry. Hey Jeff, hey Baz, it's nice to get the opportunity to talk Picard Season 2 with you. Yeah, well, obviously at the time of recording, the final episode of Star Trek Picard's second season aired here just in the UK yesterday uh, for you, 24 hours earlier, Alex. So we thought it was a good time to look back on the new season. Before we do though, back last month we were treated to the trailer of the third season and the announcement that Sir Patrick Stewart would be joined in Season 3 by his old TNG co-stars, LeVar Burton, Michael Dorn, and Gates Mc... Um, Brent Spiner, Jonathan Frakes, and Marina Sirtis. How excited were you both to see that trailer, Baz? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I mean, as much as we kind of think, oh, we want Picard to look forward and, and, and be new, I think when it delves into nostalgia, we love it. And, and and we've been waiting to see some of the Next Generation cast for ages, you know. We, we've talked about them on our last podcast, Jeff, when we look back at season one, you know, like, where is Crusher? You know, where is Worf? What are they doing these days? So the fact that we're going to see him again and just see where they are on their journey is uh, really exciting. Is this Picard season three or is this TNG season eight, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't really mind, to be honest. Yeah, no, me neither. I'm all for it. I'm thrilled about it. I'm really looking forward to... Uh, Picard season three I uh, the trailer came through and I was bawling my eyes out I think because it was so great and it, I mean it kind of does maybe seem like it's TNG season 80 with some of the news that's come out over the last couple of days around cast shifting around mm. and you know really transitioning to focus very much on you know the big seven right so um, yeah I'm super thrilled and excited yeah, enjoy what you said there as well. I mean, we'll talk about it as well later on, probably. But it does feel they've cleared house a bit, really, to make it that kind of reunion yeah. special. And the fact that they're saying it's not just cameos; it's you know they are in the show, they are part of the right. season is great. So it's it's at least multiple episodes with, with these um old favorites. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Gates McFadden saying that she just did ADR for the first six episodes of season three, which means that she has dialogue in the first six episodes of season three, and I can't yeah. imagine that means she's going to be in the first six and then not in the back four, right? Like, everyone's yeah. going to make it all the way to episode 10, which means that, to me, that says that Beverly Crusher's going to be in 10 episodes next season, which is incredible, right? I mean, that's so much more than I think we ever thought we would be blessed mm. with in terms of getting the TNG cast back. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm excited as well. I know, um, I know one of the things that came out, obviously, was Where's Will Wheaton? Uh, and that mm. got answered for us this week. Um, with, uh, I've got to be honest, fair play for them keeping that quiet. Sure. Um, because I think even, even Will Wheaton was there going, no, we couldn't arrange anything, we couldn't sort out anything. And then sure enough, bang, up he pops in the last episode. So I've got to give them their due on that one for keeping that really, really quiet. Well, it was so well. I mean, he played it so well, too, with the, you yeah. know, the, th- the season three announcement comes out and the same day he drops this, you know, like snippet of fan fiction about like what is Wesley up to now. And and you know what the really interesting thing about the fan fiction is? It's 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 what he says he's doing in the episode, right? Like it's sort of, you know. It, that's not fan fiction based off of like his interpretation of what happens to Wesley after TNG. That's his fan fiction about Wesley during the time period of Picard, which is great, mm. and managed to make it all the way through Mission Chicago without spilling the beans. Which you know he had probably had a uh, eight hundred kind of fans come to his table, and I'm sure seven hundred and fifty of them asked him if he was <laughs> going to be in Star Trek Picard. So yeah, that was one very well kept secret. Yeah, I mean, not to say he won't be in it. I mean, that what, what he's doing now, there's, there's no reason he can't potentially pop up. But I imagine he's probably not as a main character like the rest. But uh, there could be more Wesley. But if not, I think we we've certainly got an in canon explanation of really what happened to him afterwards, which is kind of uh, fits in with the uh, TNG journey. Before we get into the uh, our thoughts of the individual episodes, I th- uh, let's get down to what we thought about the season as a whole so taking the 10 episodes in one go how do we think season two went alex i liked it a lot uh i liked it a lot it was not a perfect season uh it uh did uh, drag a little bit in the middle and in sort Mm -hmm. of the i would say in the kind of five six seven eight episode range but I liked it a lot. And, and you know, I think Picard is one of those shows that was not meant to be watched weekly. I, I have sort of, because uh, I do some reviews for Trek Corps, um, I, I get screeners. And normally what they do is they will send like two or three episodes at once. And so I'll watch the two or three episodes. Like they sent seven, eight, and nine together, right? So I watched seven, eight, and nine basically straight through. And I liked seven, eight, and nine a lot more watching them straight through than I did watching them week to week because like eight is probably my least favorite episode of the season and I really like seven and I really like nine but like watching it week to week you just had to focus on eight right like that was the episode and it was like (laughs) I don't think I particularly like that one right um but overall I thought it told a really good story I thought it was um the resolution to it was well done uh the themes that were explored were really good there was such amazing character work um from so many of the characters that they chose to focus on right they clearly chose not to focus on others and i'm sure we'll get into talking about why that may or may not have sucked for certain characters um but yeah Yeah. overall i was it, it was not a perfect season of star trek um and and people who have criticisms of it many of those criticisms are extremely valid about why they might not have liked picard season two but it worked very well for me and i'm you know i it's certainly in my opinion far superior to season one as well yeah i've got to agree with you there baz 
Yeah, I echo a lot of those thoughts, actually. I think it's interesting looking at um, season one and two. They they did fall into some of the similar traps. I think had a really strong opening. Like season one, I thought those first three episodes were really strong. I thought the yeah. first three episodes of season two really hit the ground running, shaking up week by week and really, really good. I thought, and again, but I think with season two, unlike season one, I think it ended much stronger. And there were there were a lot more highs in season two than there were in season one. There was some amazing stuff, you know, in lots of episodes. As you like you, Alex, I think episode eight was probably the low point for me, and we'll talk about that. But still, some good stuff in there. Sure. It was a, it was it was it was too, it was too long for the story. Maybe if this had been like eight episodes, I think it would have been much tighter. Yeah. I I, I think there were points where it felt like it was sagging. Some storylines didn't quite go where I want it to be, you know, somewhere I look back and go, well, did that really make sense or did that make sense? But at the same time, there were so many highs, you know, the exploration of Picard's past, his mother and mental health was amazing. Um, amazing work with Raffi and Seven. Agnes and the Borg Queen, I love so much of that as well. Um, John Delante, underused, I, I would argue, but when he was yeah. on there, he was great. And and there were some great episodes, you know, I'd say the Stargazer, Penance, Assimilation, Monsters, you know, even with the Hide and Seek, these were some brilliant episodes and some of my favourites of Picard as a whole. So there were some, there were a lot more highs than there were lows, but I think it had that same structural problem in season one where it was treading water quite a bit of time in the middle and uh, and and could have been tighter. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've got to be honest. There was um, a couple of episodes, a couple of things which I think were drawn out a little long. Um, the scenes... All right, I know it was obviously showing more of young Picard's history, but the scenes in the medical centre, for instance, the scene with the uh, the interrogation, uh, I, I thought that didn't need to be a whole episode. The scene in the... Uh, the, the well, I say NASA, but the scene in the do where René Picard is obviously met properly... Um, a lot of these, I thought, that could have probably all been condensed down to one, maybe two episodes, rather than spreading out over the course of three. But yeah, as you said, John Delancey is Q. I really wanted to see more of him this season. <laughs> he was fantastic. He was one of the best things in it. Funnily enough, I showed my dad uh, the first episode of the second season just last week, because he hadn't seen any of them. And... I kind of was expecting his reaction at the end of the season because he always loved Next Generation, but he hated Q, absolutely <laughs> despised him. The moment he appeared on the screen, he went, oh, God. <laughs> so I said, yeah, stick with it. He's going to be around for the whole one, uh, the whole length of this run. <laughs> Guinan as well. So good to see Guinan back. Um, absolutely. And I think the actor... Who played the young Guinan? I haven't got yeah. her name on on my screen at the moment. She was incredible, um, and yeah, I mean we'll get on to individual characters, but so many characters, Elnor for one, just we didn't see enough of this season. But I can't fault it. I mean, season one I loved. Season two probably was a better by about two hundred percent. Um, and that isn't to take away how much I thought of season one. But yeah, again, it sort of dragged a little bit in the middle of the season, but otherwise opened well, finished well, and it's one of the best of the new era of Trek closures as well that we've had. Because as much as I love modern Trek, I think it's safe to say so far they've had problems sticking the landing at the end. Yeah, sure. 
couldn't take that away from this season. It was amazing. So, shall we start going through the episodes then? Let's do it. Right, okay. So, we started off with the first episode, The Stargazer. And, yeah, I think it's safe to say that that episode's kind of kicked off, kicked it off with a bang. Baz, what did you think? Yeah, I, I love Stargazer. I, I, it, it came back so strong. I, I'd even, I'd say, this might be... My favourite Picard episode along with Nepenthe, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think there was so much to love about this episode. I know it kind of went back to kind of, in inverted covers, proper Star Trek with, with the starships and the uniforms, and which which was, which I kind of, as much as I appreciate the direction of going with season one, but everyone, it was, there, was, there was a lot of interesting character work done in season one. Seeing people happy on starships, doing Star Trek was a was a joy to watch and I think there, there was it was great to sort of see see that on screen. But there, I mean there was there was so much I loved about the opening episode and what we'll talk about it. But yeah, it was a really kind of strong opener. It was Star Trek as we remember it was kind of what we'd kind of all been waiting for, I think, with um the continuation of the next generation era, because it was obviously not just Picard right. himself. And um yeah. yeah. Lot lots lots and got lots of great moments there and um yeah, I, I, I'm Rupi Goldberg back as Guinan was was kind of the icing on the cake for me. Yeah, Stargaze is probably my favorite episode of modern Trek in the Kurtzman era. I just think everything about it is so good for many of the reasons you just said, Baz, right? Like that sense of it being back to normal in a way, right? Like, yeah. you know, this is the, you know, the, like, like we as huge sort of, 24th century now 25th century fans we want to know what happens in that world right what happens next what does it look like and and we got little pieces of that in Picard season one but they they sort of very intentionally didn't do that and so then to begin season two with Picard you know back in Starfleet right he's the commandant of Starfleet Academy for Raffi to be back in Starfleet for Rios to be back in Starfleet aboard the USS Stargazer which is an incredible ship design and really kind of adds something really substantive to our love and appreciation for this era and taking it into the future just like there was so much about it that just really really popped and really worked and what's really interesting in some ways is i i think in in terms of like how folks perceive of season three of star trek picard I think you should look at it more through the lens of Stargazer than you should through the rest of the season because mm. Mm. Terry Metalis, who was, who was hands-on for Picard season two for the first five episodes and then stepped away and let Akiva Goldsman take over so that he could start to prep season three, has said that season three is going to be a big Starship-based adventure. We know they're going to use those Stargazer sets, right? Like, I mean, that's basically what they set up. And... So, you know, in some ways, I, I would not be surprised if we look back on Stargazer as being both the first episode of Picard season two, but also the first episode of Picard season two and three with with a diversion to the 21st century for the next <laughs> nine episodes. Yeah, I, I go with that as well. Um, what I was going to say is obviously they had two years to prepare for Star Trek Picard's second season because after the first season I can imagine they probably wanted to keep going and, and carry the story on straight away obviously then Covid happened the show got put back Patrick Stewart obviously had to look after himself he had to stay stay careful stay shielded um, and you had uh, you had all this time that they had then to 
to develop the second season. And I think that extra year um, helped them with that first episode. And they they wrote it into the story as well. It's been two years for them. Raffi's, you know, commander of the Excelsior, uh, the Stargazer, Dios, uh, Rios, sorry, is is in charge of the uh, Stargazer. And you can sort of see that they've uh, they've moved on from everything. Not sure I completely buy them letting Gerati off the hook as uh, as much as they did uh, from her actions in the first season. But it was good to see her back. It was good to see Soji as well in that first episode, bringing back the Deltons as well, yeah. who we haven't seen since yeah, the motion sure. picture. But yeah, I is it my favourite episode of Modern Trek? I think the Penthe probably still nudges it a little bit. But yeah, it felt like, in inverted commas, real Star Trek. And I, I hate that phrase. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I think it was, it was just that kind of warm blanket obviously star trekness and 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 seeing those ships and little things like the one thing that really frustrated me in season one where you had those kind of copy and paste ships in the final battle and yeah, there was right. no personality no character and yet here you saw sovereign class ships you saw galaxy class ships you saw um class, all these different uh, starships on screen and it, and it was great to sort of see see Starfleet, as you remembered, you know all the personality, all the different stars and the ships and everything else as well. So yeah, it was it was lovely, and and then there were so many love lovely moments in in the episode as well. Um, you know, like Soji and the Deltons was, was a night. Well, it's a little bit of kind of closure for her because actually this is this is the last time we see Soji. Right. So it was um it was lovely to kind of have those kind of final moments there, and all the kind of um the Easter eggs as well, like little things like um. The Hawking radiation with Stephen Hawking and the US Hikaru Sulu as well. You know, you had little moments. You know, this kind of wider Star Trek universe, which which were all lovely as well. So, and, and Elnor, the first Romulan uh, in, in Starfleet as well, to kind of show that progression and the sense of healing and moving on from the events of mm. um, what was the uh, reboot, prequel, sequel movie, and obviously impact into Picard as well. So, yeah, there were, there were lovely little moments like that, which um, I really appreciate as well. It felt like you really appreciated the fans. But not, but at the same time, not too fan service. You know, you had Whoopi Goldberg yeah, right. back as Guinan, and that was lovely. The scenes with Picard and Guinan were great, and it was like a, you know old old friends together. But it also it had its own identity. It had this really compelling mystery with the with the Borg ship appearing and, and what's going on there, and um, and obviously that great medium was opening with that really intense opening action, very movie style. Um, it reminded me of the Kel- the Kelvin movies and that kind of very intense action thrown into the chaos mm. with, with, with the with the Borg uh, Queen attack at the beginning as well, which is great. They came back in full circle in the finales of the of the episode. So, you know, lots of great moments, but a compelling mystery and and also a joy to see. I think it was the right thing to do to have that progression of time and not pick up straight after because it enabled them time to heal. Raffi particularly and uh, obviously Picard as well and. Uh, Elnor to find his place, and I guess it also meant that um, Agnes was able to kind of move beyond beyond what she had gone through. And Rios, yeah, Rios is the captain with cigar on the captain's chair. It was lovely. It was great to see, and um, it's a shame we're not going to see more of that actually. But uh, yeah, it was it was just um, so many things in that in that I, I really loved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which um, which then led us on to penance when at the end of the episode, Q introduces himself and. Mm great little moment where he just says oh I need to catch up and suddenly bang it's John Delancey as we know him yeah. now um, yeah uh, very well it done it was so yeah. good to see him on the screen again 
it, thinking about that and I think about the finale, this, my big, one, of my, one of my biggest bugbears of season two is we didn't get enough of Delancey and, and Stuart on screen to go because those 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 scenes in the mm. beginning of Penance and obviously everything in the finale as well were fantastic. Watch the the way they balance each other and that playfulness and that kind of and also but a sense of kind of unease and history and everything that goes between them as well. What was great and and it seemed Q kind of how he was in. I would say encounter at far point and all good things. That's slightly more dangerous cue than the, the yeah, playful right. one we got in the rest mm-hmm. of the series as well. And you know it was a bit darker. Yeah, you know, reflected in, in that in the top. I, mean, I love the tart the way the tart sequence as well as another thing. In the way they they changed the narrative and the, and the design, the music, and everything of that tart sequence reflects this kind of darker, more dramatic tone of season yeah. two. And that's reflected in the way that Q and Picard interact together. And um, yeah, just just great to have them on, on screen together. I wish there'd be more of it. Yeah, yeah. It's funny they they, they sort of were using the all uh, the all good things structure for that Q Picard relationship, yeah. right? In the sense that penance is the first courtroom scene in all good things, where it's like, mm. okay, here's the terms of the challenge that you now have to kind of pick your way through, and I'm going to be very mercurial about it and not sort of tell you why you're here. I'm just going to put you on notice that there's a threat, and you need to be the one to figure out how to fix it. Follow that all the way through, then to that to this to the scene at the end in farewell where they are in the solarium having that conversation and it's like cards on the table why are you doing this Mm. right like you know same as that final courtroom scene and all good things where it's just the two of them um with then the sort of like little pop-up moments along the way but yeah i i I could have done with a with one or two pop-up moments along the way right like it was really nice to see q in the episodes between like the last time he talks to Picard before farewell is I think in uh in assimilation in episode mm. three when um they're headed back in time and he's like, you know, sort of stands over Picard right by the helm and is like, I'll be with you the rest of the way, but then is not with him the rest of the way, right? Then yeah. becomes the foil for the rest of the season. But but Delancey was incredible. I mean, he has not missed a beat. I you know, it's and it's funny, like thirty years have passed, right? And so we should not expect that, like, you know, Sir Patrick Stewart particularly is going to play Jean-Luc Picard exactly the same way that he played him, you know, even all the way up to Nemesis in 2002. And not even sound the same, right? Like, like Sir Patrick Stewart sounds different today than he sounded 20 years ago. And, and that, I think, you know... It, it, is part of what has made the show, I think, for some people, tough to kind of access because that passage of time, I think, is really difficult for people to kind of find their way into because Sir Patrick's performance is quite different. He sounds quite different. Obviously, he looks the same, but there's still those differences in the performance. But John Delancey, like, that Q performance is exactly the same as the last time he played Q on Voyager in 2001, right like Mm. hasn't skipped a beat not one single beat the same you know the delivery the intonation the um uh the the way the character holds himself was a direct continuation and that of course is super appropriate right where where picard should be different right 30 years have passed we're all different than we were 30 years ago. I mean, I was four years old 30 years ago, so I'm definitely different <laughs> than I was 30 years ago. Um, but 30 years have passed for him. But Q is this omnipotent being, right, who should be that fixed point in time and space, who has that sort of consistent 
you know, yes, his appearance might change, but that's for the comfort of the people around him rather than what he actually looks mm. like on the inside. Of course he should look like he just... He should sound like he just stepped off the set of The Next Generation, and he did, and Delancey just did such an incredibly good job with that. Definitely, for me, the season MVP. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even though, as I said earlier, I showed the episode to my dad, and I know how much he hated it, seeing... When they announced John Delancey as going to be in season two, that well, that initial trailer, that teaser trailer... Uh, where it was Picard's office and it sort of moves around then focuses on the playing card which now thinking about it also was the Queen and yeah. uh, and obviously the Queen became involved as well and then it all dissolves to just the letter Q and at that point I think Star Trek fans around the world just went yes, Q is coming back <laughs> And then, when was the, uh, there was a um, a virtual call that they did, and they said, it was Alex Kurtzman and Patrick Stewart, and they said, we're going to introduce John Delancey, he's going to be in the next season of Picard, and I, I think we all kind of lost our minds. I think it was Captain Picard Day last year. Captain, that sounds about right, actually, yeah. Um, but I think we all collectively lost our minds at that point. He appears yeah. on the screen. Um, and the camaraderie as well between Patrick Stewart and John Delancey, you can tell that even though they haven't been in Star Trek since 1994 together, you can tell the admiration, the camaraderie, the respect that they had for each other as well. And I'll tell you something, I bet they had a load of fun making those episodes together as well, Mm. because I bet it must have been like old times. Same actually, when... um, when he when he uh, worked with Whoopi Goldberg in the Ten Forward Bar, I thought I bet that was a day of fun as well, day yeah, of reminiscing. But yeah, I uh, I, I loved it. Um, Guinan Q. That first episode just felt like it was back to Star Trek, back as it was in the nineties. But yeah, I. I who knew about the ride that we were ahead of us had ahead of us but um, yeah then obviously we find out what's happened the road not taken going into penance and we start to see things happening Seven of Nine is not Borg anymore Um, and it's not the mirror universe but it could very well be and it, it, it was a horrible bleak take on the Federation it wasn't the Terran Empire, but it was what the Federation would have been like if it was if it had taken a darker turn, and it was yeah. it was quite scary actually considering recent events around the world. Very much so. I mean, we, when you have these kind of parallels to real world, and you, and you see evil empires, and then you see it in the real world, you, you can see how scary scary it can be. I, I think while this was certainly next gen, having fun playing in the Mirror Universe. They never got to the Mirror Universe episode, so this was next-gen getting to have its yeah, own Mirror right. Universe story, but with its own twist, its own confederation, not a Terran Empire, and doing something quite different as well. If anything, the thing about the Terran Empire in the Mirror Universe is very, very camp and very, very fun, and sometimes a bit too silly. So, uh, yeah. I like DS9, for example, I love some of the Mirror Universe stuff, and then some of them just got a little bit too ridiculously, I think, maybe DS9, whereas this, it was fun to see 
this evil universe and seeing what the character characters are in. But they, but at the same time, it wasn't fun in that sense of there was no camp to it. It was it was dark. It was oppressive. It was frightening. Yeah. And the language that was used in some of those scenes by certain characters, the way that people were treated. You, you can absolutely draw upon real life parallels. So I think that was very cleverly done to do to do a movie universe, but not do the movie universe as we know in Star Trek. Yeah, it it was it was great, and it was dangerous, and it was like it was so mm. much more dangerous than the mirror universe. Because like, I think the other thing about the mirror universe too, in addition to that sort of camp factor, is it's just sort of set up as being an evil universe yeah. that's evil just because it's evil, right? It's it's alternate, it's mirror. That's just that's just how they are over there. Versus the much scarier prospect, which is like, actually, no, it, you know, like, like we could very mm. easily do this to ourselves, right? And do something way worse than the mirror universe could even conceive of. You know, it's the Confederation is a is a darker, uglier, more brutal place than the mirror universe seems like it ever kind of desired to be, and that's us. That's not, you know, just some quirk of science fiction quirk of physics or whatever it is that means that the mirror universe exists it is you know the sort of heart of darkness that lives within us and and i think that whole sort of theme of the season Mm. is a very prescient one right now that penance kind of brings right to the fore which is that you're always on that knife edge right and you don't know what the thing is that's going to set you on the right course or the wrong course right in this case the thing that creates the confederation is one mm. minor space flight, right? That 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 nobody really remembers all that much about and and has a sense of like why it was important, but it turns out that the federation, the bright hopeful future for humanity all rests on that one moment and the alternative is this completely dystopian future of hatred and jealousy and conquest. And so penance is a re- right like you go and 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 it's such a great juxtaposition between you know hopeful 25th century stargazer oh the borg want to join the federation right like everybody's feeling good we've all got good jobs to penance and like q leading picard through his now like monstrous library of skulls and all the you know famous star trek you know legacy characters that he's personally killed and decapitated and taken their ears and like all yeah. this kind of just this gross stuff um they, they just pair together really well to create the stakes for the rest of the season which is now you've seen that you know what you're ultimately trying to ward against um because it's it's really bad right it's not hypothetically bad it is bad it's something that you know you should never yeah. want i think that was what was quite of. clever how they rooted it in 2024 i know there's stuff with Star Trek lore, particularly with DS9 and Past Tense, and I think there's other references to around that time period as well. But always, Star Trek has always gone into the future when it's gone into the past, whereas it's done something very different this time. It's gone into a two years ahead. And really, I know it's a different timeline because we've got using like eugenics wars and that kind of thing, but really, this is... that The, the 2024 in Picard Season 2 could... is like... 98 percent are 2024 if the way we if we carry on yeah. the way we're going and that's that's what's so scary about it so it's not yeah, right. something where like we we look watch past tense in ds9 back in the 90s which is which is, which is a few months a few months after this it, it kind of feels even that the whole sanctuary district thing feels a bit fantastical in the sense it's like a slightly dystopian future thing whereas 
the 2024 we see in Picard season two, things like Ice, for example, is this is this is this is the real world now, yeah. and that and that's what makes it much more frightening, and much more scary. So yeah, I, I think it was a very clever cleverly done to t- draw upon the real Earth parallels and go. You go from the stargazer to penance by just one simple act because we are on the cusp of you know going down a very dark path or a very enlightened path. So that that's what I found really interesting and quite disturbing as well to, in retrospect. Yeah, another thing as well that I would have said, uh, I would say about the difference between what we had with the mirror universe and the Confederation. With the mirror universe, you've got everybody is evil. The Klingons are evil. The Bajorans are evil. The Trill are evil. The Vulcans are evil. With this one. Earth has gone down this totalitarian path, but everyone else is the same. We're mm. the only race that's changed. Yep. So we've become this all-conquering planet of racists and xenophobes um, going out there, unfortunately, to conquer anything. And yeah. when you see what happens then with Elnor uh, on Earth... And you see exactly how they treat him. You just know, yeah. obviously, something's amiss. Definitely. Before we move on to assimilation, though, the other thing I, I loved about penance, you mentioned it, Alex. Those those skulls, those DS Nine mm. Easter eggs, I loved as a DS Nine fan. The uh, yeah, Goldie Cat. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, you get you get a big Star Trek villain, and you and, and Picard's come. Okay, that's great. Then you get Martok. But Martok's is really big noble character, and then. The Ferengi one, which I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to be Grand Nega Zek. I'm it not quite Zek. sure. It was a. There's, it is Zek, is it? So yeah, you've got this under the yes, skull, which yeah. says Zek, apparently. Right. So you've got a, you've got a, a big villain, mm-hmm. and then you've got these kind of noble characters as well. So you get you get in these kind of classic characters that we all loved. We know we love them because they were they were evil. We love them because they were good, and yeah, the fact that they're they're trophies on on Picard's. Uh, desk there it's so disturbing but it's also quite playful and fun at the same time and a nice little nod to uh ds9 which doesn't really get much of a look in a moment in the, in the picard universe don't forget the other mention as well that ds9 had in this episode was when they talked about General oh yeah cisco, cisco yeah and i was hoping yeah. that we'd see something else cisco related over <laughs> the course of the season um sadly it was not to be sure. um the other thing as well i was going to say is that even though I can see 100% why they picked that skull, that Cardassian skull, to be Gul Dukat, I kind of wanted it to be Gul Madred, because I was thinking, can you imagine the other timeline, where it's Picard that was the one torturing Madred <laughs> in their version of Chain of Command? Yeah, uh, that, yeah. that'd be yeah, that would be uh, fun. And ending yeah. up obviously with skull, uh, with uh, Madred's skull, and that was th- that was the one thing I thought. I I wish they'd kind of done that, but uh, yeah, I 100% understand why they did Ducat for the skull. One thing yeah. we haven't mentioned, and I've just realised we haven't mentioned, just popping back, uh, going back an episode to the Stargazer, we didn't talk, we haven't talked about um, Laris. Yes. Um, Picard think, and Laris. Yeah. yeah, and I think we should because obviously Laris has a big impact on the season coming up. So, what did you think? Just going back, uh, back an episode to Laris from that first episode. It's an interesting one because I think you know, particularly now we know Gates and Fallon's coming back. You know, are we ever going to get that kind of resolution or continuation of Crusher and Picard? And uh, I'm not sure we are now. Now we've got Laris in the picture, but it's um, I don't. I absolutely adore Ola Brady in the show. I'm so glad she was in the show. 
Mm. And there was a lot more of her than there was in season one. So I'm, I'm very happy to, to have her on the show. Saying that they did an off, off, off-screen death of, of Zaban, which um, seemed a little bit odd. But uh, yeah, but um, he, he, was, he, was, he was quite quite a shot off-screen. Um, and you got the focus on Picard and Laris. I, I really like their relationship. And I like that, you know, in the context of the season as, as we explore it, that she's an opportunity, uh, the latest opportunity for open up. Crush is probably an example of someone who, if he had dealt with some of this past trauma that he deals with in this season, then maybe Crush and Picard may have worked. But I don't, we don't know. We, we hope um, we'll find out something about that relationship in season three. But um, yeah, Laris is the kind of the latest and possible and the last opportunities for Picard to open up and kind of find love and find companionship. So it seemed a little bit odd when I first watched it thinking, oh, okay, you know, that they put in Laris and Picard together. But I think as we've explored the season, I'm more on board with it. And, I, and, I, and when they got back at the end of the season ending with them in that final scene i was kind of yeah i was kind of all, all for it yeah i'm 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 team laris all the way um uh, <laughs> i i think laris is great uh she's my favorite of the picard romantic companions from season one and two very closely beating out kamala from uh from the um from the perfect mate uh, and all of Brady's performance is incredible. I, I I really like the way that they, and we'll of course get into talking about this when we get to the relevant episodes, but the inclusion mm. of Orla as the character of Talin, who it would have been nice to have learned what the sort of connection was between Talin and Laris, um, but it gave sort of, it, it gave a really good way of including sort of Laris, but without Laris necessarily needing to be there, mm. uh, which was which was a nice way of sort of handling it. I, I, I liked where the relationship went. Uh, yeah, who knows where it's going in season three. Orla Brady made some comments in this week's episode of The Ready Room that kind of sort of made me go, oh, well, maybe she doesn't take him up on his offer and does leave, and then that does, you know, open up a space yeah. for Crusher. But um, I, based on what we've seen on screen so far, I really like it. Yeah, I haven't seen uh, this week's Ready Room uh, yet, so I'll have to check that one out. It's uh, it's a bit hard harder to find the Ready Room over uh, over this side of the water, unfortunately. Um, but I'll uh, I'll have a look, see if I can find it. I, I brought up Laris because that was another reason that we knew something was going on. Because as Picard is going round the house, he's looking for Laris, and it's uh, one of the droids. Uh, I forget the the names, but they showed up quite a bit in the first season. The ones that the, the started the rebellion. Yeah, the synths. Thank you. But uh, you've got that synth um, who's there, pretty much in Laris's place, uh, who then becomes Q instead, and that sort of starts Picard on the journey then of trying to find out what's going on, uh, how to start putting things right. Uh, and uh, starting to get in contact with the rest of the former La Serena crew. Yeah, uh, from that point, obviously, we get Seven. Seven is the president of this new totalitarian regime, uh, and I think the moment you find out that she's the president as well is jaw-dropping. Yeah, it's quite clearly done. Yeah, and um, you then find out, obviously, about her husband... And the particular moment where, uh, right at the end, um, where they're trying to take the La Serena back in time, and you then realise that, uh, oh, I should say that Seven's partner doesn't uh, realise that she's got no idea who he is. 
And... Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's my name? And it's you know she could she couldn't have been asked an easier question, but from her point <laughs> yeah. of view, she couldn't have been asked a harder question. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, great sense of danger, doesn't it? Yeah, should we uh, jump on to assimilation then? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. This, I thought, was a fun episode. Uh, I'll be honest. There were mm. lots of Easter eggs in this one as well. Um, I mean, okay, some of them not so good because you see the Sanctuary District. But I loved the whole thing as well about um, Seven beaming onto the planet and the little kid says, are you a superhero? And that little kid's now going to walk away thinking I've met a superhero. I love that. I know it was done for laughs as well, but the moment where Rios is beamed into midair, and I thought that was hilarious, and I shouldn't have laughed, but I did. But it obviously <laughs> led to him getting into oh, the, it's brutal, the yeah. medical centre. But yeah, uh, initially done for laughs, but obviously as soon as you realise he's badly hurt... It, it it takes the story on from there. But, um, yeah, I, I absolutely... Uh, I'd say Assimilation is probably my second favourite episode of the season. Yeah, I love Assimilation. It's a great episode. I, I mean, I, I, I'm a I'm a sucker for any time they manage to uh, uh, incorporate popular music authentically into an episode of Star Trek, which they did in this episode with California Dreamin' as sort of the, like, you know, establishment of, like, okay, mm. we're now in 2024... Los Angeles, yeah, it, it, you know, and it's funny, they did this throughout the whole season, but, but definitely most in like three, four, five, and six, where they're sort of exploring LA, and it's very much like, no, this is the, this is Star Trek's LA, right, with sanctuary districts and with, mm-hmm. you know, sort of all these mm-hmm. callbacks to all the different things we know about that kind of time period. Um, within the Star Trek universe. And yeah, this episode is great and obviously includes the introduction of uh, our latest in incredible 20th slash 21st century people who interact with our crew in the form of Dr. Teresa, who ends up stealing the heart of one uh, Captain Cristobal Rios and uh, and convincing him to stay in the 21st century, um, who just is really, I mean, um, the actress is really, really good in in the role as Teresa. And it's, you know, it's sort of like, in each era in which we've had a Star Trek crew go back to the twen- to our time period, right? The original series crew going back to 1986 in The Voyage Home. The Voyager crew going back to 1996 in Future's End. And now the Picard crew going back to 2024 Los Angeles. They have done a really good job of kind of finding characters who reflect, you know, that era and being the, like, coolest mm. people in that era. Um, and Teresa mm. is is just the, the latest in a long line of those uh, of those people. And, yeah, she was a great character and uh, really pleased that, it you know, it was not a one-off and she then showed up, you know, throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Santiago Cabrera and Saul yes. Rodriguez had such great yes. chemistry on screen mm. together. Yeah. And I think it made you believe why he stays behind, because I think, um, yeah, Rios does see the worst and the best of kind of humanity um, when he's there. And, yeah, it's great to see him. She could have been a, a one or two episode character, and that would have been fine and she would have made an impact, but that would have been it. But I'm, re- I'm like you, I'm really glad that she stuck around. And there's some really great stuff. You know, obviously it's an introduction to this episode, but I... I, I really like how they set up that relationship between them in, in uh, assimilation. 
Yeah, and speaking obviously of assimilation, we we get to see the Borg Queen properly and her character oh, starting yeah. to come out in this episode. I mean, we do briefly see her in uh, Penance, but her personality and she's obviously very scheming. She's she's got her own plan. Mm. She knows what she's doing. She's got her eyes on what she wants to do with Jurati. And Annie Wershing it just absolutely nails that character 100%. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I actually think she might be my favorite version of the Borg Queen now. And maybe it's a product of Alice Creed, but I think I think the way she she does is she's such menace, mm. but she's got so yeah, much right. sass as well to her. And it's I I I love the, the, her performance and and the, the physicality of her performance as well. It, you know, it's great. And assimilation for me, it was probably my second favorite episode, along with Mercy, with the explanation of Picard's past, because I I adore the assimilation scene. I love the stuff with Agnes and the Borg Queen in this episode, and there's so many wonderful moments. There's everything from the kind of the horror, like when the, the Borg Queen's crawling on the ground, to that kind of comedy where she just <laughs> yeah. topples over. So it has, yeah, yeah, yeah so it's wonderful juxtaposition of moments. But then when you get into that stuff with the assimilation, I think Agnes going th- into the mind of the Borg Queen it's probably my favourite scene of well along with probably the Picard and Q Farewell I think is is probably my favourite scene of the episode I, I, I love when when you get into the psychology of head and you know, all the stuff with Agnes going through her subconscious in the different emotional rooms and uh, the uh, the line I found the human room knock knock don't bother it's full of mirrors beautiful <laughs> deflection was an amazing amazing a reflection on Agnes's character, and um, and when she turns to Picard as well, and you pretend to have, you pretend to have feelings to avoid having feelings. How awful that must be! You know, I I, I can't be said how good yeah, Alison yeah, Pillar is yeah, in this yeah, yeah. in this season yeah. as well. And it seems like this. I, I I adore that interplay between the Borg Queen and Agnes is wonderful. You know, all the up to that wonderful line: "Stole it, computer, dictate the fire, log shit I stole from the Borg Queen." Just had me in stitches. It was it was yeah, all of that stuff from the emotional journey into returning the Borg Queen and the Borg Queen going, "You've impressed me now," which is really threatening. Obviously, you see how that plays out, but yeah, everything about those those scenes and between between them and all the exploration was a really fascinating way of doing something new with the idea of assimilation doing something new with the borg and having almost that kind of emotional trauma as opposed to the physicality which you yeah. always see the physicality of you know the the the, the, the gray skin and the implants and stuff this was something much more psychologically interesting in, in in terms of um how they treat agnes and her journey towards uh kind of being kind of borg queen herself into the, the season and obviously in this episode as well we saw elnor get killed and I don't know about you, because it was, it was the day that the finale of Discovery came out as well, and we saw another character that was killed in that episode and then brought back at the end. And I kind of always had this feeling that they were going to be bringing Elnor back uh, at that point. I don't know mm. about you as well. But I just thought, hmm, that's a bit of a sudden, unremarkable death for what should be... A, a character with the skills as he's got it was it felt like a waste at the time yeah i don't think it had the impact it was it was meant to have i think while it was very interesting to see raffi's exploration of grief and that kind of her second son figure had been killed 
And I thought that was really interesting how that was dealt with. But in terms of his moment, maybe I thought, yeah, he's going to come back because of time travel. He's going to come back. And it was a welcome surprise when he came back. But I, I do wonder if the reason that they came off, because it seems like they, they, they start the clear house quite quickly. And as much as I like the characters, um, how, is it Evan? Evergore, yeah. And Isa Brion's, they're probably the weakest of the ensemble. And it's interesting that actually very quickly they're put to one side so they can get into the real meat of the storyline. So you, you don't see Elnor in 21st century. If you certainly don't see uh, Soji, she's only there in one cameo at the beginning. So they immediately kind of get put those characters aside and go, okay, we're done with those. We're not going to deal with them. And um, as much as I'm glad Elnor's back, and I like Elnor, he's fun. He's fun when he's kind of fighting and doing that kind of um, fish-out-of-water comedy stuff. But otherwise, I'm not sure what he would really bring to the uh, to the, to the show. So I just felt like, oh, yeah, well, he's a, he, like, like Soji, he's a, maybe a slightly weaker actor, character. We don't really have a place for him, so we're just going to put him to one side. And uh, and that's what it felt for me. It felt like, yeah, okay, well, we're going to kill him off. It's going to give some meat to Raffi's storyline. But it's a time trial, so we'll bring him back at the end. And I, I always assumed that, so I never kind of felt the impact that maybe yeah the Elmore story I didn't love for many of those same reasons right like it was you know now watching the whole season it was clearly an attempt to reduce the number of characters that they needed to service over the you know it gave them more time to focus on Mm. some of these other characters and in some ways the news that Evan's not returning for season three does to me kind of undermine the character's story arc in season two as just being a way of kind of sidelining the character for the season and then, you know, kind of giving him his, hey, I'm back again moment at the end of the season and then that's it. You know, we're at least from the way that Evan yeah. has described it, we're not going to see Elnor again in season mm-hmm. three. If it had been he dies and he gets resurrected and then he does have a role in season three and, you know, there's something about the growth of that character as part of it, then I would have been on board with it and it made sense. But, yeah, in this case, it just... It, it was a... It, it was very clearly now an attempt to kind of start sort of streamlining the cast down to a core focus of characters and uh, yeah this one just uh, yeah. did not land for me like some of the others did yeah uh, the other one as well is obviously him as the emergency combat hologram uh, in the last episode the one bef- uh, the, sorry the that was, that, was, that was Mercy I think Mercy yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mercy or, or hide, hide and seek. It's the one where, yeah, the, what, hide and seek. I think when they won the Borg yeah. ship uh, at the end, they're fighting the Borg. Because I yeah, thought that yeah. was going to go somewhere as well. You see the mobile emitter as well, um, and I thought, oh, okay, we're going to have a version of Elnor back as the emergency combat hologram. And again, that's the last you see of that character um, because, well, we're, we're jumping out of the timeline again. But uh, obviously, we've got what happens with the Lacerena. Um, by the end of the episode so yeah I I do like Elnor but um, I don't think he was well served this particular season unfortunately yeah. no. and I think last thing before we move on to the next episode then is that I think we, I mean, I'm jumping ahead when you saw him as the emergency hologram he was fun he kicked ass and I think that's all we really can say yeah. about Elnor so it was great to see him back and go oh look this is Elnor we love but actually there's not much more He's there. He's a symbol of the Rom, first Romulan in Starfleet, and that's nice. And that's the kind of continuing journey with Picard as well. But that's all he is. So I can see why he's not in season three because he's now the first Romulan 
as Nog was the first Ferengi and uh, obviously Worf was the first Klingon. He's another in a race of people who have joined Federation for the first time and that's kind of the symbol he is and that's all he really is, I think. So, you know, I don't mean to be disrespectful to the actor and the, and the character, but I think there's yeah. not much more you can do with that character, so that's why I think he's sidelined. I do wonder as well, because there's all these uh, talks as well of the rumoured Starfleet Academy series and, you know, you've got Sylvia, um, you've got Tilly going over to the Academy in Discovery, you've got um, Elnor now in the Academy in Picard and I kind of wonder if we're likely to see Elnor or Tilly in their own Starfleet Academy series going forward. Um, but we still don't know yet what timeline that series is set in, do we? Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we see that character again at some point. Yeah, for sure. Right, okay. Oh, yes, Watcher. Young Guinan. What did we think of Young Guinan? I loved her. Loved Young Guinan. I mean, obviously, there's the element of, like, you know, we'll we'll set the Times Arrow conversation aside. It's one that's been had a thousand times on Twitter <laughs> only, over the last, half an hour left. like, six weeks. Um, <laughs> exactly. But, uh, you know, I, I the performer, Ito's performance was terrific. Um, yes. Uh, the, the chemistry with Sir Patrick was excellent. And the idea that at this point in time, after having been now on Earth from the late 19th century, from the last time we met Guinan all the way through now the early 21st century, she's become quite jaded about mm. humanity and Earth and is ready to leave. Like, totally makes sense to me, right? That was a, <laughs> you know, that's a really dark time yeah. in human history to have been alive, especially if you come from this sort of, you know, more enlightened temporally aware species that she does and uh yeah so i i i really like that that you know there was that sort of throughout the remainder of the season was like okay teach Guinan how to hope again kind of message mm. but also lived underneath it bookended by Whoopi goldberg's appearances in the first and last episode yeah yeah completely agree i thought ito um a uh, year i think we pronounce the surname um yeah ito was fantastic i i loved her um, as a performance on a, on a chemistry with Picard and um, she had a real fierceness to her character that was that jaded Guinan you know if if Guinan's pissed with the world that's kind of how she, she, she would be so yeah I, I, I thought um, it, it was it was great a really good performance and um, even though you wanted to you know, are, are they not going to de-age Whoopi Goldberg but it's probably too much for the amount of time that Guinan was, was in the in, in, in the season but it was a uh, yeah, it was still great to see her. I, I really like that yeah, performance. I mean, it would have been easy for them to have picked an actor that looked like a young Whoopi Goldberg, but they, they picked an actor who just absolutely nailed the part. Um, you could believe that, mm, that, yeah. that woman would go on to be the guy that we know from the next generation. So they, they absolutely nailed it. So, yeah, she, it was a great performance from her. Yeah. Um, but obviously he turned up and... Uh, went to the bar thinking that he was going to be meeting the Watcher and even said, I think I found the Watcher. Um, and it takes a long time, a lot of persuasion before she actually then says, oh no, you need to meet this person. And it's only when he reveals his name, Picard. And at the time I remember thinking, well, surely the name wouldn't make much difference. But obviously knowing who... Talin is actually responsible for you then think of course the name Picard is going to be the big reveal and of course the name uh, it, mm. and um, she says she's going to want to hear your story and yeah you can 100% understand it at that point 
Yeah, what which is an interesting episode. I, I remember really liking the Guinan stuff and finding the real the real storyline with Ice uh, a really kind of interesting modern day kind of parallel and drawing upon that. And that was great, but I struggle with watching to remember what else there was. There was so many great stuff before then. I think watches the first episode where it starts to spin it wheels yeah. a bit, and you kind of you think. I think we're all thinking, oh, okay, so we're going to spend two or three episodes in the past, and then maybe back to the present, maybe dystopian future, then the main, main one. And I think it, by the end of watch, I was like, yeah, we're not getting off to at least episode eight or nine, and um, and this is probably where I think with this, with the next few episodes, is probably where they could have been a bit of condensing as well. I, I, I still think watch was a good episode. The way it established Guinan was great, and and Rios's storyline. Definitely, but I don't think it was. It wasn't as strong as the three episodes the before things, it. Yeah. The other sure. things that were happening in uh, in Watcher was uh, Rios was obviously being held by Ice at that point, um, and mm. you had Raffi and Seven um, uh, uh, looking as well. But you did have Kirk Thatcher returning. As the punk on the bus, <laughs> which was another highlight of the season. I, I think he's a marmite, that, isn't it? It's it's either everyone thinks he's brilliant or they hate it. Brilliant for me, the <laughs> best cameo in Star Trek history, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I loved seeing him again. Yeah, it was fun. I tell you what, what was what was fun because obviously there's a lot of homages to Voyage Home. I think maybe some of the problem with Picard is that it's so serious. It's not like Future's End or the Voyage mm. Home where they really have fun with characters in the past. Rios is, Rios is probably the closest, particularly the dinner, the, after the Ice storyline. Yeah. You get to have some fun with Rios. But I always find it, it's a very, very serious. So I, I, I it either didn't work because it's too silly, juxtaposed against the serious nature of it, or actually it's going, we are doing a time travel series like we've done with Voyage Home like we've done with Future's End so let's have a bit of silly fun with it and that was a nice callback so I don't think it really brought anything to it but it was it was a nice little thing for the yeah, fans absolutely. I think is it this episode as well where Rios does his um, where he actually tells that ICE officer exactly who he is where he's from yes um, and <laughs> the crusty old ad <laughs> line yeah and he gets he gets treated with this look of absolute disdain uh, from the ICE officers if they say, well, mm. yeah, you're going for a psychiatric evaluation first. Um, <laughs> the next episode then would have been, is that Monsters? No, Fly Me, fly, fly fly me, me to, to the, the moon. moon. Yeah, I think this is where the plot yeah. really starts to kick in. I think you, you finally realise what the direction of, of the season's about with um, Q manipulating Rene and the Europa mission. You still don't understand why, but I, I think it's um, particularly for the introduction of Wallace Brady at the end of the last episode, as Talon as well. I think that's we you know when you start to see things coming together and and also things maybe not working as as much like Adam Soong I think doesn't really work for me. But um, yeah, it's certainly a sense of okay we've we've settled in we've done stuff with Agnes and the Ball Queen we're now going to start moving things forward and and trouble is it takes four episodes to get there but it's the thing starting to move forward and, and realizing kind of what what's actually happening here and, and what and why q has uh, sent them back into or sent them back and why they've gone into the past now to fix it yeah th- i like this episode um it's you know it it, it it's funny watch a fly me to the moon and two of one are the ones that like blur together in my head of like it's difficult yeah. for me to exactly sort out what happened in each episode because like a bit of the like gala happens in this one, but it mostly happens in two of one. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, a lot of this episode, A, you obviously get the, the villain reveal with Adam Soong, right? And Brent Spiner, who, you know, yeah. plays a cartoon villain in the in the way that Brent Spiner does. And it worked yep. for me, but I, I can certainly understand, Baz, why it did not work for you. Um, and, uh, you know, and the Corey stuff is somewhat interesting around, you know, what's going on here. I somewhat wonder if that will end up being a bit more of a setup for like something else. Um, but uh, you know, in terms of the the, the Picard stuff, uh, you know, the 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 Rene Picard stuff is interesting and starting to get a sense of like, okay, why are you here? Um, but for me, this episode is sort of a, a kind of a it's a lead into the next one where things really start happening, right? You know, yeah. once you get into two of one, you get the conversation between Picard and Renee, and you get the, you know, sort of merging of, of Agnes and the Borg Queen, um, and the sort of emergence of that new personality starting to begin. So, yeah, it, uh, it two of one's definitely the one that more memorably sticks yeah. in my head. Yeah, I think Fly Me is, is very much a functional episode of setting those plot points up. You know, it's right. got all of Brady... Yeah. It's got you know the nice tie back to the Watchers and Gary Seven from the original series and the, and uh, I, I like how they tie all the back to the original series and do that as well, um, which, which was great. I really really like that stuff. So there was, there was some good stuff there, but it's a very functional episode in terms of moving the plot forward. What it does have is that great cliffhanger, I think, with um, the realization that uh, Agnes has been kind of physically assimilated as well. So it's mm. kind of going to the next level. I think that that was really great. One of the best cliffhangers, I think, of of the yeah. Uh, yeah. Of the season. And obviously, Issa Briones yeah. is back uh, this time as another character altogether. We see yeah, Corey agreed. for the first time. <laughs> but at the time, I remember thinking, wow, the Sung family <laughs> is, is very, very deficient in genes because they'll either look like Brent Spiner <laughs> or they'll look like Issa Briones. But no, I mean, again, that's another story <laughs> element that's being set up with Corey b- being brought in. And you start to see, obviously, what Adam Sung's whole intentions are regarding going forward as well um so yeah that that's mm. uh, i i did like Corey. i felt that she was a lot more natural than we'd seen with Darge and soji uh, from season one i felt that she was a much more believable character as well i really liked uh Corey. i think that's fair uh, i i think Ice Burns was fine. I always liked um, Darge better yeah. than Soji anyway. And Darge was only in one episode. I found yeah. her quite cold as Soji. Maybe that was part of the point. But um, yeah, she's much more human. She's much more uh, believable, I think, if anything, in this. Whether I think <laughs> she actually comes to anything in terms of a storyline, I think is a different matter. But I, I do I do agree this is probably the best of her three uh, performances. Well, five, because she's two other synths in the... <laughs> yes, yeah, true, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with that one. She's uh, she's much better in this one. Um, but then, as you said, it sort of merges <laughs> into the two of one story then, and it starts off with that mo- uh, with one of those flashback things. And I always feel like they're a bit. Um, mm. It's a bit of an overused thing in television, whereby you see something shocking from later in the story, and then suddenly it's thirty six hours earlier. And it, you know, yeah. It... Well, they did it. Twi- they done it on the opening episode, which was fine. So to yeah. do it twice in the same season of ten episodes. So yeah, it's yeah, very right. overused. It can be a great um, storytelling tool. I think the trouble here is a. I know Picard was injured, but I don't think what he really did anything that um, that interesting with it. I think the uh, 
this season opener did something fantastic with the media in res style of, of storytelling. I don't think uh, two of one did that did that anywhere near as effectively. And um, the idea of this kind of 37 minutes before, 20 minutes before, I always wanted like a 24-style ticking <laughs> clock. You know, if they'd made it real time... If they made it real time, maybe be more effective and do go 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 full on with the gimmick. It kind of was like halfway there. So yeah, <laughs> yeah it was um yeah all lean up to well Picard gets hit by a car. Well, okay, in the next episode we sort it out. So was it? It wasn't like he was dead. Yeah. So I don't know, if you're going to kill off Picard halfway through season two, that that, that would have been that would have been shocking. But um yeah, I think yeah, it it didn't quite work yeah. for me. I, I think the bigger thing was obviously that it led into. Picard going into the hospital in the next episode, but yeah, which I loved. Yeah, yeah. sorry, there there was some good stuff in in two of one though. I I, I really love the pep talk scene with Jean Luc and Rene Picard as well when he kind of puts mm. them back on a path and it comes twice, doesn't it, in, in the season? I thought because that was what he was there to do to make sure that she yeah 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 that was lovely. That was probably the best. The best. I think I think that worked really well yeah. for me, and I think. Classic Picard speech. Seeing like Rios and Seven, two characters who are kind of so torn by their past, kind of having fun was lovely to see. And that happened a lot in this season. I think you see it in two of one as well. Uh, Rios and Seven really kind of letting loose and just going, we're here at a party, we're going to have fun, we're going to fit in. It's a bit different, but hey, we can be human and normal and not have to worry about all the trauma and the Borg and everything else from our past as well. And I can't, I mean, I can't let us not move beyond uh, talking about two of one without yeah. acknowledging A, the dress and B, Alison Pill's amazing performance of Shadows of the Night by Pat Benatar, which, you know, again, mm. like uh, conflicting opinions about, but I thought was really, you know, was yeah. really fun. Um, and definitely for me, the most memorable part of that episode is the thing that and the Picard Renee um, conversation is really what sticks out the most. And I mm. think this is the episode where you really start to see that. Um, Girati Borg Queen relationship go into overdrive, which then plays into the rest of the season, and and both Alison Pill and Annie Wershing just do such a great job of playing off against each other. It's very, it's it's very very good. That that twist when, I mean, thing with the endorphins doesn't work so well in the next episode, but in this episode, the way she gets the endorphins and, she, and is enabled her to kind of just take control, and uh, it, it is a great, great. I think it, it's maybe a little bit over the top, but um, I think it's great. And yeah, Alison Bill looked great in that red dress as well. She, mm-hmm. I, I, I love stuff when she's walking around um, LA in, in the later episodes. Um, car half kind of Borg, Borg Queen in the head in that red dress is kind of it looks very almost like a very kind of a. It's a, it's a great look for her in this kind of going from human to Borg as well. So yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, just going back to Alison Pill singing Shadows of the Night as well. Fair play for the band for knowing to play along as well. And also whoever was in control of the spotlights just basically pointing that at her. I guess I guess Terry Metalis's explanation is that um, the spotlight was unautomatic and they had uh. it before. <laughs> and Shadows of the Night was next on the set list. Uh. Yeah, that must be it, yeah. Because there's no way that would happen otherwise. But hey, it's TV. You get away with it, <laughs> mostly. Uh, and the other Easter egg as well is the shuttle uh, that you see suspended, which is from Enterprise. OB-165. Yes. The opening yeah. sequence to Enterprise. So another... another. Oh, one yeah. There. Okay, so Monsters is the next one. This one, personally, I, I sort of got a bit distracted with. I don't know about the rest of you, but... Uh, uh, I found this episode quite hard going myself. See, I for me, it was one of my favourites. Okay. Mine too. Yeah. 
going into the in Picard's mind and all those horror elements that kind of pay off in hide and seek later on as well and just going into the um the, the visual horror and the kind of the psychological trauma it would be like being the son of someone who was suffering so so severely as Yvette was and you know playing into her hallucinations it's her hallucinations and, and how it impacts in Picard as well I think it was so well done I, I, I thought the you know I always like when you when you go into, into someone's head and deal with the psychology of a character as well I think this episode absolutely nailed it the the stuff with um outside maybe a little bit less so we'll talk about that but the stuff in Monsters with that and of course James Callis of Balasar fame as um, yeah. therapist slash Picard's dad as well which I, I thought was fantastic the scenes between Callis and, and Sir Patrick Stewart for me are what make the whole episode especially when you rewatch the episode understanding who James Callis mm. is playing um, uh, it's so it's so good and and you know there's obviously a, a lot that people can say and there's plenty of commentary online about it about the Yvette storyline and you know is that the right depiction of mental health for the 24th century and mental health challenges one of the things I think that 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 this show tried to do and I think did very well is depicting how mental health challenges can impact right this is Picard's story mm. this is not Yvette's story yeah um, and as that, like Picard being a child, um, uh, you know, having a parent who has mental health challenges, really focusing and centering on how did that impact him, mm. right? Like, what was the, you know, what was the impact of that experience for him? Um, I thought was was really really well done, and like the that you know that oftentimes that sense of helplessness and. Um, uh, that you feel in that kind of situation, not knowing kind of how, you know, because there's nothing you can do to mm. fix it, right? Even though you desperately want to. It, it very, you know, and then culminated in Hide and Seek, sort of really, really kind of well built that up and paid yeah. it off. I, I can't say more yeah, than Hide and Seek was the, was the payoff for, for it. And uh, yeah, I mean, Monsters was hard to get through. I think it was the shortest episode of the season as well or something, wasn't it? Well, I'm trying to remember because there's a lot of the stuff with Talon going into his head. I think the only other thing I remember from the episode is the kind of slightly naff smashed a window in Dolphins thing that Agnes Borg Queen thing goes, which I I think we think quite worked in Raffi and um, Seven going after. But they they were keeping the plot moving Mm. forward. I think think there's not much really of Rios in this episode. So it is very, very focused on on, um, essentially saving Picard and going to his mind. But I think the stuff they did was was a really fascinating exploration of Picard's character. I mean, that's what this season did so well, and seeing the relationship with his parents, and also how he framed his father as this monster. You you you, you think all the way through that he's this uh, abusive, horrible man, this kind of scary, not seen figure, and actually what you finally was doing, he was just he was struggling to potentially keep Yvette alive and and look after Picard. Yeah. Right, right, Robert right. was never was never mentioned. I'm not quite sure Robert. Knew. I mean, I know he's older, so maybe he was off at university or something. But Robert was never mentioned in it, which I always found a little bit odd for continuity, particularly as the episode and the, actually as the season did such a really good job of playing that kind of um, the um, vineyard as very much in keeping with the one we saw in Family, which is kind of very much kind of removed from modern technology and stuff, yeah. and was very almost like a historical setting. So. I, I really liked how yeah, they continue right. the elements of the family. But yeah, Robert not being there was, was a little bit confusing. It, at least there may be a mention of him. But 
Robert is older and is probably off doing his own thing. So, but I think the way they framed his father as this person who was essentially interrogating and actually trying to get him to see, actually, I wasn't there. I wasn't the monster. I was trying to protect you and protect your mother. What was um, was very well done. I think they say Robert is is working the yeah. field um, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a, a quick reference to it because he might have been old yeah. enough to have been. There is a reference in the Stargazer to him oh, being okay. at school. Oh, and fair enough. So the implication oh, is it's a boarding yeah. school and he's yeah, not at that, home. I, I sort of had that same question watching Hide and Seek, thinking, well, where is he at this time? Yeah. And I, I knew there was a reference to it, but I couldn't remember exactly what it was. So, okay, that's... Yeah. Well, and ultimately, I think the events that you see all yeah. take place within a very short period of time. Right, like with the exception of that initial conversation in the Stargazer, when clearly they have arrived at the house for the first time, pretty much everything you see in seven and nine, I would say, takes place over the course of maybe at most like two months. But you could easily have it be over a much much shorter period of time, like than that. Right? It could even have been a couple of days, you know, where all of these sort of events happened very quickly. Right. Shall we briefly? look at mercy and then sort of deal with hide and seek and farewell in one go oh boo moving on hide and seek <laughs> if they'd had um david Duchovny playing the agent <laughs> yeah, right. i might have given it a bit more credit <laughs> um it wasn't like the actor playing him wasn't wasn't bad i mean everyone was putting a really good performance in every episode that i can't afford the performances and there is some good stuff in particularly with um seven and raffi in this episode and the exploration of their relationship which i think over the whole season was explored so well and you get a lot of stuff there with seven realizing that raffi is using her and and how the hell they are as a couple and the stuff we're trying to get through when they confront Agnes as well. All that stuff I loved, actually. I, I thought the Seven and Raffi stuff really kind of kept the episode going on, on, yeah. on the um, on the ship as well. I think, there's some, again, that really great yeah, chemistry yeah, between yeah, yeah. them really worked. But, yeah, taking a whole episode away to get them taken by an FBI agent who, who was kidnapped by aliens. Who never shows up again after no. that, right? Like, at the no, end of the episode com- 8, it's implied that he's going to be instrumental to the... To no. the end game of the season, and nope, he just doesn't show up again. But I think that's the same you say about Core as well. Yeah, I, I think, and yeah, at least Sung does. Sung, Sung gets to be a villain in the episode yeah. in the season, but I don't think yeah. yeah. So I, I just think it was taken away. Even the stuff we got, we got Q and Guinan, but didn't actually really go anywhere. It was the kind of almost there at the first meeting. So again, so much I wanted to see in this episode, and you just didn't. And I, yeah, it kind of felt like a complete apart from the. Raffi and Seven are going after Agnes for another episode when that right. could have been merged with the right. previous one. It just didn't really go anywhere. Or it was a complete side plot. It's the, it's the one point where I thought they've they've well, like they've got they've got nine episodes of material, and actually, arguably, mm. that's more like seven or eight. Yeah. And then you add a tenth episode, so they sh- slotted this one in and go, okay, we'll do this about this guy when with a who was kidnapped by aliens. And no, it didn't work for me at all. I mean, Jay Khan's obviously we'd seen him before in Voyager. I was kind of hoping he was going to be the same character, um, yeah. Because yeah, there, there was the fact that his character name was Wells, which happened to be the class of starship in Relativity. And I thought yeah, okay. that's there's got to be that can't be a coincidence, but it was. The other scene I've got to call out in this episode, which I really liked, was the conversation between young young Guinan and Q. Um, I thought that was a fantastic scene where you start seeing exactly that Q is actually dying, and I thought that was a great scene personally. 
I didn't really, I didn't think we didn't go far enough, but okay, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so let's deal with the last two episodes together then, because it starts firing on all uh, on all cylinders mm. again at this point. Hide and seek. I've seen comments online that said there should have been a trigger warning for the final scene, but I kind of think that you needed that element of surprise to it. I get the trigger warning requests for suicide, unfortunately, but um, mm. I think it was such such a moment for Star Trek Picard to portray and uh, a part of Picard's history that um, obviously he's never spoken about before and let's face mm. it he probably wouldn't want to speak about it and we relived it in in such a such a horrific way and i think the the way they played it as well playing the scene backwards was very very yeah. inspired i i loved that and i hated it as in equal amounts i don't know about you too yeah, hide and seek's great. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of this episode. I, you know, I, I like the kind of just action story framing. I like the way they, uh, you know, sort of like do some of the introspective stuff down in the in the tunnels in between it. I could have done with probably about ten less times of young Picard saying <laughs> "maman." And but for me, the part of the episode that I thought was super super interesting was the Seven and the Borg Queen mm. stuff. You know, and that sort of like the decision between Jurati and the queen of the confederation timeline to turn the concept of the Borg on its head and make it a place of welcoming rather than a place of assimilation and fellowship and community. Like it's it, in some ways it's, a, it's also a shame we won't get Alison Pill in season three. Cause it means we won't get to explore that really in, in more detail, but I need a novel. I need a audio drama. I need a something that's going to give us more about this you know, alternative Borg collective. I've seen some people being like, well, how does this change the timeline in terms of the actual Borg that we met? And I don't think it changes it at all, right? It just means there's yeah. two Borg collectors out there and we're meeting this one for the first time. And yeah, it's such an interesting concept that I would really like them to explore in well, more detail. Well, they did say this Borg point. collective is from the other timeline as well. So yeah, the, 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 the other Borg, they've gone. This is the Borg from the alternate timeline that Picard and Jurati created. So, yeah, um, it doesn't affect the other Borg at all. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really interesting. And I think it's a shame that Alison Pills in back because I want to see more of this explored. Cause I, I think it's really interesting to do something. They, they do new, something new with the Borg. They do something new with the idea of assimilation. They do something new with the Borg Queen. They do something the idea of the change as well. There's so many really good ideas. Because the thing about the Borg, and this is where Voyager overuse them, is that they are a fright, unstoppable force. And either you keep them as constant, unstoppable force, but because like Daleks and Doctor Who, they just keep getting defeated, so they become less, less menacing and less threatening. Or you do something new with it. And I think what they've done here yeah, is something right. really interesting that I really hope is explored elsewhere. I'm not sure it will be. I think um, I mean, we don't really know much about Season 3 apart from the next-gen crew, so we'll, we'll have to see. But yeah, I think what it's doing here, present the ideas around the Borg, is really fascinating. And I, I do hope that uh, we, we do see more of that, definitely. But I like you. I call out again the stuff with Yvette as well is so harrowing, so, so well done. I think Madeline Wise is a, another amazing uh, actress, and you know, she did a really amazing work as Yvette as well in this episode. And it's 
it's really powerful stuff and yeah. really yeah. tragic and from an emotional stakes point of view of Picard's journey, it, the payoff, as tragic and as horrible as it is, is a satisfying payoff of what is it that's kept Picard so reserved you know, his entire life. And I think the way you've done that is very, very well done. Yeah, agreed. One thing I just wanted to highlight as well, just to um, lighten the mood a little bit as well, I loved the visual element that they put in of the sniper rifle laser pointers <laughs> had been turned into the green <laughs> sure. of the ball yeah. and you knew when those the, the, the yeah. those green sights piercing through the light it felt in some places like a computer game like a video game um particularly the moments where they're they're going from window to window and the green laser mm. pointer is coming through the window i mean okay yeah, probably right. not realistic technologically but then who knows this is the board we're talking about so <laughs> yeah. how did that work but it was a great visual mm. element just basically to say hey this is the borg this is the borg taking control over a seals unit yeah. basically and yeah i i love the visual element of that and to skip ahead into the finale like i you know we can't not talk about the conclusion of the picard q mm. relationship and the mm. death of q and how like just those scenes for me are some of the best most profound scenes i've seen in star trek in you know probably 30 odd years like played so well by john delancey and sir patrick stewart so tied to the 35 years worth of history between those two characters and those two actors who've been playing off against each other for that amount of time such great echoing of all good things and encounter at far point and you know the different elements of that relationship there's just it's a very very special moment uh, in the season, mm-hmm. and one that I'm so glad we got the opportunity to see. Yeah, I, I love those scenes, and you, you saw it, that hug is between Delancey and Stuart as much as it is between Q and Picard as well. And yeah, so yeah, sure. so well done. I mean, to those spare in the works, I don't think Q's plan makes any sense really at all at all and i i, <laughs> no. I, I still don't understand a lot of what the whole point of this season was in terms of why go back to the our future and then back into the past unless q knew exactly what they were going to do i think there was there was, there were too many plot holes unfortunately to make it completely satisfying but that doesn't take away from the conclusion of the picard q relationship which is yeah such beautiful performances from john delancey and patrick stewart and yeah i felt all that emotion in, in those final scenes for me, it makes sense if, and it's a big if, if the transwarp conduit from the end of the episode that they need the Borgati mm. collective <laughs> in order to like fight back against is connected to our season three. Villain. I hope so. Because mm. then Q, what Q has done effectively was through the events of this season, and especially if that is also connected to why he is mm. dying right like if there's some big threat out there which has killed the queue and is about to kind of take on the federation then through the events of season two q has created the first line of a defense mechanism against whatever this is um that to me makes the whole season make sense but we'll have to see if that's actually what happens in yeah i hope so because i felt that the whole ending was very rushed almost like that should have been the the q stuff could have been the the stuff in the past should have almost been the penultimate episode, and then this should the stuff in the present should be the final yeah. episode. It's so rushed. I, lo- I love I love all the stuff with the um, 
the shields and his conduit and stuff and the threat to the galaxy it made uh, this is this is the scale that we we're looking at but it was so so rushed i was like but i don't what does it all mean was it making any sense and if it if yeah, it's all right. season three then i'm all for that if it's not then I'll sure. be retroactively yeah. more frustrated than maybe I am at the moment with, with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I 100% yeah. agree with you about that. I think there there's still a lot, lot a lot riding on this in terms yeah. of season yeah. three execution. What I was wondering as well is obviously we know that we've got Alison Pill departing the show, Evan Evagora departing the show, uh, Santiago Cabrera departing the show. I think his storyline is finished, um, particularly with the explanations that Gain and Gavis. Yeah. Uh, in the final episode, yeah. and yeah. Uh, who else have we got leaving? Oh, Issa Brionis is leaving Isabriones, as well. Yeah. But do we know they're leaving as perm, you know, main characters, or are we likely to see them pop up in one or two episodes, or are they completely off the show now? Because I'm wondering if, yeah, this threat that we've seen with this new transwarp conduit, and they said. I'm going to be the keeper of the gate mm. from Borgati. Will we likely to see that become a threat? And then we see her in the final episode, just basically wrapping everything up. So it'll yeah, be interesting. I, I, I think. Yeah. I hope so because I hope the point of the of this transport conduit is for season three, and therefore I hope we're going to see more of Borgati. I love that term, Borgati. <laughs> I hope we're going to see more of that. <laughs> it only needs to be one. I think that's it. I think Elna could pop up occasionally. Borgati could pop occasionally. I'm not sure Soji needs to, but if she does, then great. I think Rios is done. I think that's fine. As, as much as I would yeah. love to see Sandro Cabrera on the show more, I think he's gone for He's experienced the worst and the best of humanity. He's found love. He's found his place. He never had a place before. So I'm sad to see him go, but I think that's a satisfying end, and I'll be surprised if we see him again. But I think... Um, Certainly, Borgatti. I'll be surprised if we, if we, um, if that's the end, because I think I feel there's more to come. And I do wonder if the whole thing with Corey meeting Wesley is going to lead to something as well, whether we're likely to see Wesley pop up now or Corey pop up again in the future. See, but, I, so. I don't know if we are, and I kind of wonder if that makes what's the. I mean, Adam Singh was there to be a pantomime villain, and I, I Brent Spire plays a villain very. He's a lot of fun playing a pantomime villain. So yeah, I, sure. I enjoy elements of that, but I just don't see really what he brought into it apart from being a tool that Q's using. So again, why was Q using him if it was like if if not for you know if Q's trying to get Picard to explore his past and open up, then why is he also pit Adamson against him? I, I I don't quite know where that was. And and Corey, I I, I just don't think it really had much relevance unless as you said there is more to come so maybe Corinne and Wesley, Wesley the Watcher will turn up because it was a fun cameo and I'm, 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 I enjoyed it but I just don't know if there's going to be any more or maybe they brought Wesley in because they're like what's Corey going to do now we've done nothing we haven't really we're expecting to have some big relevance and apart from her storyline with Sung there was nothing outside of that there was, she didn't interact with any other characters so yeah. maybe the Wesley stuff was set up or maybe the Wesley was saying to give her a little bit of closure at the same time I got a big theory about Adam soon, but you'll have to listen to this week's episode of Weekly Track <laughs> to find out what it is. <laughs> oh, happy to do that. Um, is there anything else that we need to talk about about uh, Farewell or about Season 2 in general? There's a lot going into that finale. Uh, a hell of a lot packed into yeah. it. Mm. Some things worked, some things didn't quite work for me, but but no, I was satisfied by the ending. I thought it, the, these, it, they, I felt like they rushed the ending. With the stuff in the in the present day of the Stargazer, but I thought it kind of wrapped up nicely. While I'm assuming yeah. setting up elements for season three to come. 
Yeah. Oh. Bring on Yay. season three. <laughs> Definitely. I um I thought that it was less rushed than the season finale of Discovery season four. Um, although Discovery season four was still a fantastic finale as well. I think that could have been done over two or three episodes uh, a little bit more. But yeah, I thought it was, uh, as I said earlier on, one of New Trek's best season finales so far. Yeah. I agree. I, yeah, there was so much to love about that, that, that finale as well. So I, I was happy. Agreed. And yeah, before we finish as well, we um, also reached out on our social media channels to get comments from people how they thought about uh, season two of Picard. So I thought before we finish, we'll read out some of those as well. So Carl West from Her First Trek on the on the Horoscope Media Network. So he said, I don't particularly look at them as seasons in the way I do other treks. Right from the first episode, it felt more like a sequel to season one rather than a continuation of the series. In many ways, this was Picard 2 and the previous was Picard 1. That said, I really did enjoy the season. Episode 1 was fantastic. Episode 2 was a good follow-up. I'm not sure how the show ever hit the same heights of the first episode again, but it was consistently good throughout. I'd have to watch season 1 and 2 back-to-back to see if they have a preference, but I think all in all, Picard has thus far been one of Trek's best shows, especially if comparing its first 20 episodes to the first 20 of other shows. I think it's a really good point as well. They're definitely about uh, how strong it is compared to uh, maybe some of the first seasons of uh, Voyager and uh, Next Gen DS9. He also says, I only really have one annoyance, and I suspect you'll great more decades to come, been in the cast. Because the show gave us some great characters in the first season, that they've largely dropped the majority of them to do a TNG reunion season really pisses me off. We've had seven seasons and four movies with the cast, and we only got 18 months of Rios. It's an interesting point as well, yeah, obviously, as we said before, we're kind of like they're, they're um, thinning out the herd, really, to uh, focus on the TNG reunion. Suzanne Williamson, the host of The Janeway, the Voyager podcast said, I rather much enjoyed season two. I can't say the same for season one. It just never clicked for me. The way season two ended for me was fabulous. I wish they would have just ended the series there. There's no need for season three, especially since they are bringing back everyone. It doesn't just feel like anything other than fan service. So again, some interesting thoughts there. You know, we lot of celebration about the uh, next gen coming back, but also uh, maybe some trepidation that it really is becoming a TNG fan reunion. And finally, over on Twitter, we had some comments in there as well. So Luke Winch, who's a fellow podcast of mine over that we made this, said it's been a huge improvement from season one in terms of pacing and writing, less so on the final episode. The thematic narrative has been excellent. There have been a few episodes where it's spinning its wheels and some iffy character arcs. But overall, I've been really happy with what I've got. And... Stalk, um, besotted geek pod said, Love the first episode, but it seemed to have dragged since. Something gets captured, rinse and repeat. Waiting Jerry Ryan, forcing in Sung and Daughter because nothing else to do with his actors. Not enough cue, lack of you know actual trekking amongst the stars. Other than that, so <laughs> he wasn't a fan really of that one. And ETR tried Riaz Osman, tried ETR on Twitter, was most of it was just filler, unnecessarily drawn out, but the start and ending were fantastic. Generally exciting, hope to hope this feeling stays into season three so yeah some kind of a mixed comments there some uh people agreeing that no, not enough lot not enough q spinning its wheel at times um some people are more excited for the tng reunion than others so yeah um kind of a lot of stuff still i think reflecting what we uh, have said over the course of the episode 
Right, well, thank you for joining us on this episode of Beyond Farpoint. Uh, Alex, before we sign off, where can you be contacted? Yeah, best way to contact me is on Twitter. I'm at Alexander T. Perry. Folks are also interested. I have a weekly Star Trek news podcast called Weekly Trek, which you can find at Weekly Trek. And just wanted to say thank you so much for having me today. This was a terrific discussion. And uh, yeah, I was really pleased to have had the opportunity to be here. Been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been our pleasure to have you as well. Uh, what about you, Baz? Where can we get a hold of you? So, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Baz Greenland, and I do various podcasts. Um, over, we made this work as well. I have a Babylon 5 podcast, a Dream Game Reform, and a Doctor Who podcast, a Tyler's Crew I co host with my son Ben as well. And you can yeah, find me online, talk about everything, including my books as well, which you can get through Kenny Jar Books. So, uh, Baz, what, what are we going to be talking about on the next episode? So, we are going to a bit more psychological horror, and we are going to be talking about Season 6's Frame of Mind. Oh, yeah. love that episode. Uh, we've got your um, your uh, partner Gemma on the show yes. as well. Um, yes, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah James beyond on Facebook. We did we did an episode looking at mental health in Star Trek and Next Generation before, and uh, yeah, everything psychologically interesting. She she loves so. Uh, Frame of mind is her favorite episode. So we thought we'd uh, awesome. delve into the madness of Riker. Is he on the Enterprise? Is he in the Asylum? Who knows? Oh, that'll be fun. Maybe we should do it. <laughs> maybe we should do an episode about monsters and hide and seek with her then in that case yeah, quite possibly yeah yeah anyway uh myself you can get in contact with me on twitter at ncc underscore one seven formula one uh or my retro gaming twitter is specky world cup uh don't forget as well you can join the nexus uh which is the holosuite media forum over on facebook uh, we would love to chat to you on there as well as well as that we've also got at beyond farpoint on twitter so uh, thanks for joining us this month. We will see you again next month. See you soon. Bye-bye. Let's see what's out there. Engage.